Hello, hello. I am so happy you made it to this episode. Today, we are diving into talking about emotional neglect, um, growing up with addiction, and learning to rid yourself of any heavy energy humans that are hanging out in your life and taking up space and taking up way more energy than we realize. So, In today's episode, we are going to be talking briefly on my story uh, and the reason that I think my story kind of went unacknowledged for as long as it did uh, and the ways that that has impacted me as a child, a teenager, and then also a 26-year-old adult. Uh, We will also touch on some questions that were submitted uh, via the Souls Undressed podcast Instagram page by some listeners, which I'm super excited to talk on that. Like I've said to you guys, this goal through this podcast is to embrace you, to hold space for you, and to be able to heal together and really dive into the shit that nobody's talking about. So I'm very excited to talk on those questions as well. And then finally, like I said, ridding, just ridding the high humans, getting rid of the people in your life who are weighing you down. Um, so then outside of talking about ridding those humans, uh, to carry on with the same style of every podcast, we're going to end with talking about ways that people can help. So I like to call that segment, how can I help? Uh, And that is for those people who listen to these episodes as someone who can't understand it from a first-person basis, but has someone in their life who they love or who they work with closely uh, who may be struggling with or dealing with some of these topics. So today's quote, in order to love who you are, you cannot hate the experiences that shaped you. And I saved that quote from the Homebody Club Instagram page. Um, Just like the rest of the quotes, that one is from my vision board. That's actually from my 2020 vision board. So I think it's awesome that it's accompanying this episode that is part of this dream that I knew was going to come to fruition in 2020. Um, But I really cannot wait to dive into that quote. I think you're going to understand as we talk more why it connects so well. Um, But before we get any further into the show, I just want to make sure that I let you guys know a reminder, my disclaimer, I am not a therapist. I am not a medical professional. I can only ever speak to you through my own personal experiences in my own life and my own personal experiences through therapy and through different coping skills that I've navigated and seeked out and been handed and kind of made my own and kind of moved on with. Um, I will always, always, always do my best to share with you my experiences on a topic or with a topic before speaking on it. Um, I think that that's important just for you guys to understand why I think that I have a space in this corner of the world to talk about it um, or anything that I'm talking about. So um, with that said, we will just dive right in. Funky, y'all. 
You're listening to the Souls Undressed podcast with your host, Tori Rankovich. If you're ready to bear it all, strip away the stigmas and get down to business with thought-provoking conversations and all the raw reflections to help you ride life's waves, then you found your one-stop shop, honey. It's time to dive into an episode full of endless tips and tricks for the go-getter and soulful lover. So today, this topic is uh, very close for me. If you follow along on the Souls Undressed, Souls Undressed podcast on Instagram, you uh, have maybe heard some of the stories that I have been posting, kind of asking for your input and talking about um, little bits and pieces of my story and kind of how I've ended up where I am. But I've really just been waiting uh, for this space to dive into it. So I'm going to stop gabbing about it. Um, you will hear my paper <clears throat> paper rustling. I am being very firm on not over-editing this podcast for you, so I want you to realize that we're just hanging out. Um, this is the first episode I am recording in my home studio, so I'm very excited about that. Um, I know I'm off on a tangent, but I forgot to mention that earlier. Uh, I've moved out of my studio that was in Morris, Illinois, and we are recording out of my in-home studio that I'm so proud of and just so excited to be recording in. So without further ado, my story. I have um, an early, early on connection um, to emotional neglect that I feel is um, in thanks to alcoholism. Um, I talked about addiction and alcoholism kind of uh, intertwined in my stories on Instagram and even in the title of this because I think it's a very broad topic and um, just like one of my Instagram questions that was submitted to me had mentioned, um, alcoholism looks very, very different, uh, just as addiction does from person to person. And um, I think that that kind of plays into uh, things going unacknowledged or unnoticed or um, people, especially kids, suffering in silence. So um, the reasons that I feel um, that the emotional neglect that I was navigating through was unnoticed or kind of unacknowledged uh, is because I grew up in a house that heavily, heavily consumed alcohol. Um, Mostly beer, not really any hard liquors, no whiskeys or anything like that super often. Um, But beer was just the normal beverage to consume. Um, From an early age, I can't say when, obviously we don't remember all details as we're children, but um, I would say confidently from age seven, six or seven on, it was a super commonly consumed beverage in my house. So I think that knowing that it was the norm and knowing that, like I said, alcoholism looks different from person to person, Um, it's very, I feel like common, especially in the nineties that you did not interfere. You didn't, um, question moms very often. You didn't question families. You didn't really interfere with things that really didn't quite make sense yet. Like we are really just getting into the advocate 
uh, kind of era now, I would say. And that was a hard pill for me to swallow, I'll be honest, but I'm coming to grips with that now. I'm understanding that a bit better. Um, but I think that early on when something is the norm in our lives, it's just what is our norm? It's what's become our expectation. It's become what we use to rule and measure everything else. Um, and when I was surrounded by alcohol all the time and then eventually in turn surrounded by being drunk, not me personally, but my mom, um, I started to just assume that that was the norm in every household. And um, I think the people around me in my life, other adults, other family members, um, they were kind of seeing behaviors that I don't want to say had always been happening, um, but from a distance, there were behaviors that didn't really look like they were anything to be too concerned with. Um, if your parent works regular full-time 40-hour work weeks, if your parent um, is able to attend some sporting events here and there, uh, if your parent has what looks from the outside and even to the child a really great relationship with the child, these are things that are not really raising red flags for other adults in life, for uh, yourself as the child. Um, these are just your norm. Um, growing up, I kind of knew that things weren't quote-unquote normal at home um, because my dad lived in a different home and his evenings didn't look the same, but um, I also always dealt with moms of friends in town or other coaches on teams whispering or talking too loudly in front of their children about how much they thought my mom was consuming or whether they thought she was sober or not when she attended in a sporting event or anything like that. So earlier on, I started navigating that a bit as like, oh, maybe this isn't normal, but um, it was still pretty normal to me. Um, so one of the Instagram questions was, or kind of, uh, requests was to talk about the ways that, that alcoholism or that addiction looks differently. Um, so I'll maybe touch on that again at the end when we get to our, how can I help segment? But for me, I think that because the alcoholism in my home looked differently, it allowed things to be more easily ignored. Um, I grew up with a really confrontational drunk. Um, I won't even say really an angry drunk. It wasn't that she was angry all the time, um, but very confrontational, like to the highest degree. So um, if you know me or you grew up with me uh, in high school or late middle school, especially, sorry, <laughs> um, but I was just a very outspoken, very strongly opinionated, very much so carried my own um, verbally and emotionally. I was to myself, I was a force to be reckoned with. You couldn't really shake me very much. Um, but on the inside, I knew you could shake me and that was why I got so angry and so defensive of my friends and myself. Um, I was just feeling things so deeply, but I knew that I had to uh, defend myself and I had to be ready to go if someone was going to challenge me. Um, so that's one way that I really recognized um, the influence on me that our nightly routines were having. So, um, my, the routine behavior was, um, you know, when my parents would get home in my mom's house, um, they would crack a beer when they got home and they would start relaxing from their day, um, which I was always trained to believe was 
I need to shut off. I need to not listen to talk for a while. I need to be able to drink a beer. I need to relax. I need to turn on the TV. I need to kick back and relax. Um, which to me was always led me to believe that that was a norm. Um, but since being an adult and going through therapy and reading different um, self-help books and things from other doctors and psychology, I've learned that that is really just a way for um, our parents or our uh, guides in life at that time to um, convince us of their norm. So um, what I've really learned since navigating this as an adult is that what a child needs, a child needs. Um, there's no wrong need. There may be an ignored need, which is then portrayed as something that's in excess or unnecessary or making you needy or whatever it may be. But um, as a child, I was always led to believe that if I had too much to say right away, um, that it was too much too soon. Or um, if I had a problem with the tone or what my mom was saying or my stepdad was saying when they were drunk, um, I was wrong. It was, you know, it was the tone that I was taking, questioning them, the parents, and not what they were saying that was hurting me, that was telling my intuition, like, hey, that's not right, which is why I was then in turn questioning it as a child. Um, so without getting too, too deep into my own personal soapbox, that is my story navigating those things as an earlier, uh, a younger child, and then into my teenage years. Um, I'm also going to be sharing an episode on childhood sexual abuse and navigating that from the start to kind of, I wouldn't call it the finish where I'm at now, but um, the emotional neglect also plays into that episode as well, um, as well as does the alcoholism, which um, are two separate episodes for a variety of reasons, but initially were separate episodes because I didn't think that they connected um, which I think shows where I'm at in my healing journey as well and how much room I still have to grow is not wanting to acknowledge that um, the abuse that happened to me as a child uh, was also tied into the emotional neglect and neglect because of alcoholism that was happening because of my own caretaker, which was my mom, which I think... You can probably hear in my voice is like still a lot for me to own, but that's why I've been so, so motivated, but also terrified uh, to record this episode because I think that so many of us navigate this life just believing that whatever our parents said is best and whatever our parents did with us was the best they could do and it was the best for us. Uh, and, you know, I'm not here to tell you what's right or what's wrong for your own life or how to live your life, but that's just not true in my life. Um, I think everybody makes mistakes and everybody has to be given space and grace to make mistakes. Um, but where I'm at in my life is allowing the grace for the mistakes, but also absolutely 127% requiring responsibility to be taken. And I think that that is where, uh, you have to come through and decide, you know, is it time to rid someone in my life uh, who is making me feel emotionally neglected? Or um, is that something that, you know, are they still providing purpose uh, in my life or are they still creating space for me? So before I get ahead of myself, I won't dive into that. 
I first want to talk on another topic that was asked um, through the Instagram page, which was um, for me to talk about codependency. So the woman that submitted this question or uh, this request had mentioned that codependency wasn't something she ever learned about until she was in her late 20s and her mid to late 20s. And um, I think that once you realize what codependency is and you realize how much it plays a role in your life, it's kind of like a, oh, oh shit, like I've been acting through this need or this place of need for so long. Um, so I wrote down the definition for codependency and then I'll kind of tell you what it looks like for me in my life. So the definition of codependent is an excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner. Um, so for me, I'm just going to give you a second. I want you to kind of picture whether or not that has space in your life. Excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner. So codependency in my life um, often looks like taking things personally um, or feeling abandoned or having a fear of being abandoned. Usually there's not even a real chance of being abandoned. It's just the fear that exists that it'll happen. Um, needing constant approval, whether it be for a decision in your day-to-day or um, to feel that someone approves of something you've already done or completely destroying yourself because of self-doubt because you're waiting for someone else to confirm that what you did was the right thing. Uh, All of these things in my experience are the fallout or kind of the result of codependency. Um, And through therapy and through reading, I have learned that I am intensely codependent. Um, And through my relationship, we've learned that. And I have plans for Andrew and I to record an episode together. Um, I actually have plans for us to record quite a few together, but specifically one about our relationship. And I'll make sure that we talk on navigating codependency in a relationship because it's not just the person who is codependent who has to process and deal with that, but the person who is being over relied on and the weight that that's putting on their shoulders and making them also carry around in their day to day. Um, So to me, the codependency comes from um, a lack of consistent trust as a child. Um, So whether the lack of consistent trust comes from inconsistent behaviors from parents, Um, so not knowing whether mom was going to be sober enough to make me feel comfortable that night or whether mom was going to be too drunk um, to even have a real conversation with me, Um, whether or not home was going to be safe with the men that were around, and these aren't all specific to me, but some of them are, Um, or whether the men at home weren't going to be safe, Uh, whether or not you were going to have three meals a day or whether the only meals that you got were at lunch, at school. Um, Whether or not when it got cold out, you were going to have the resources that you need, the warm coat, the warm shoes, enough socks to get you through the week. All of these different things are different examples of ways that your ability to have a trust and consistency have been broken at some point earlier on in your life. So in order to overcompensate for that as adults, we are trying to pre-map what we need and make sure that we have it when we need it. It's almost like 
We're like emotional hoarders. Um, because when we have this lack of trust that what we need is going to be there, we're constantly overanalyzing, overstressing, overworrying, overcompensating to fill that void that really doesn't even exist anymore or doesn't exist yet in our current situation but still exists from earlier on in our lives and hasn't been acknowledged. Um, for me, I was able to recognize how codependent I was because of my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, saying, like, I can't entertain you all the time. Like, we would fight about how upset I would be when he would go off to play his video games when he got home from work or when I was so heartbroken that he didn't care to watch whatever show I wanted to watch because he wanted to do what he needed in that moment. And to me, it was like, how could you abandon me like that? Like, how could you not want to sit and talk to me? Like, clearly I need that. Clearly I'm upset. And he was like, how can you not recognize that like, I'm my own person too. And like, I also need to recharge and I also need to breathe. And I also need to be able to process my day. And it wasn't until processing all of that and then going to therapy and realizing through my therapist that I was placing all of these expectations and all these needs on top of Andrew that were not of Andrew's concern. I mean, yes, they were his concern through me because he loved me, but they're not his concern to solve. He's not a therapist. He's not a doctor. He hasn't been through the same traumas I've been through, so he can't even speak from experience. Yet here I am, this woman that he loves, just sobbing a complete puddle of mess, just like, fix me, fix me. Spend all your time with me. Fix me. Your time is the way that I'll be fixed. And it's such bullshit. But we don't realize it until we're so miserable. And we have blamed everyone else in our lives for making us that way. And then we finally hit rock bottom and have someone who we trust or who we know is educated that says, look, you're holding yourself there. You are keeping yourself reliant on other people because you're too scared to make the moves to save yourself. And I will tell you what, there is a single person in this world who may listen to this podcast and hear me say that. And they're like, hold the phone. This hypocrite just said what? Um, Because I've had quite a few tiffs with other people about that phrase, saving yourself. Um, I think that everyone goes through a state of trauma and healing where they are not capable of saving themselves, Uh, which is why this podcast is here. And why I want to bring people together who can talk about these things as they've navigated them. Um, Because it's impossible to save ourselves until we're taught how to have the tools and how to find the tools and how to hold on to the tools and how to take care of ourselves when we forget the tools. Um, But yeah, so uh, to talk about how to recognize your codependency, um, If you've been feeling red flags raised while I've mentioned the last few things that I've mentioned, that's a good sign uh, that you're probably dealing with some of that. Um, If you're somebody who takes things personally, that was one of my biggest red flags. I can't tell you how many friendships and business relationships, or not even business relationships because it was before I started my business, but professional relationships that I have probably just slaughtered because of taking things personally and assuming that everything that everyone else does, thoughtful or unthoughtful, was in connection to me. Uh, And the last few years have really taught me that 
Nobody even has time to think about all the things that they need or the capacity to process all of their own emotions, let alone being so worried about what I think that what they did was to hurt me, you know, or what they didn't do was to hurt me. Um, so those are some ways that you can recognize that. You can also talk to a therapist um, or a life coach on codependency. You can uh, research some books for that, which I will do that and try to share those on uh, the Souls Undressed podcast Instagram stories and the Souls Undressed community on Facebook um, to kind of share those things further. Um, and if you have any other questions or experience with codependency, I would love for you to reach out, write something on the Facebook wall, shoot me a DM on Instagram. Um, I'd love to tie to talk more and dive into that topic with you. Um, so after recognizing it, I think that the next step is learning to combat it, uh, learning to fight against the quote unquote need that we have, which I say it like that because we don't really have a need, but um, PTSD in some way has led our brains to trying to preemptively protect ourselves, which then tells us, hey, we need to do this to make sure that we feel safe. Um, so things that I started working through uh, after a suggestion from my therapist is um, journaling during those times. So when Andrew would get up to go game and I would feel abandoned, I would pick up my journal and I would just start writing. Usually within a paragraph or two, I have worked my way to what is actually bothering me. Um, so it'll usually start out with, I'm so mad or I'm so hurt or Andrew doesn't understand how much I needed to talk right now. Um, and it usually eventually within a couple of paragraphs, like I said, ends up talking about uh, what it is that's actually bothering me on my mind, whether I'm sad or whether I've had some things on my mind that making me that are making me feel uncomfortable that um, I'm, I haven't looked for coping skills to take care of yet. And I was just kind of like expecting Andrew's presence to be that coping skill. Um, and then obviously I kind of led into it is having a list of coping skills, um, like creating a physical piece of paper. I jiggled it so you could hear it in the microphone. Uh, a physical piece of paper that has, when I'm feeling anxious, I can. When I'm feeling abandoned, I should. Um, and have those things be like calling someone that, you know, likes to have small talk with you or texting your therapist, if that's something that your therapist does or, um, journaling, maybe it's hopping on Pinterest and looking for vision board quotes or quotes that will inspire you. Um, these are just some different things that I like to do. Um, I've definitely noticed though journaling is my go-to because I cannot avoid myself when I'm journaling. Um, you just can't, your brain says whatever it wants, especially when you've practiced enough to just kind of let it flow. Also, I hope you can hear this train. I've decided I'm not going to edit those out either. Um, it's just part of this time of my life. I enjoy it. It's part of my hometown. Uh, sorry, tangent. And then finally, um, definitely the toughest topic I would say is Learning to rid the people in your life who are pri primarily bringing in heavy energy. Um, so what do I mean by heavy energy? I mean by people who are weighing you down. People whose presence in your life are not lifting you up. Um, 
maybe somebody whose presence in your life you um, used to be lifted up by, but now when you try to access that energy, it's just no longer accessible, whether it's because the person has changed or there's different circumstances that are ha happening that are stopping that from being accessible. But um, just recognizing the people who make you feel less than desirable after you've spoken with them or interacted with them or read something that they've said or listened to something they've said. Um, these people are going to be all through your circle if you've never thought about this. They may be people you consider your best friends. They may be your siblings. They may be your parents. They may be a coworker or your boss. Uh, they may be your significant other. Um, but it's important to sit back just peacefully with yourself and just really pay attention to what you feel after you've interacted with someone. Do you feel recharged? Or do you feel just bottomed out and empty? Only you can really um, decide that. Um, so then the next thing I want you to think about is, I'm assuming, if I had to guess, that if there are people who are still in your life who bring this negative energy, um, they're still in your life because you have a belief system that like they're not really impacting your day that much. Or um, they've been in your life literally since you can remember. So it's just at this point easier to have this forced friend than to quote unquote break up with them or split that friendship. Or they are my mother. I could never cut out my mother. Do you know what she's done for me? She carried me for nine months. She birthed me. She raised me. Yes. Yes, she did. And I am not ever taking anything away from the work that goes into being a mother. However, if your mother now still, at this point in your life, is bringing more negative energy more heavy energy, more stressful energy into your world than she is love, support, or happiness. You have some things to consider, my friend. Same for your dad. Same for your brothers and sisters. Same for your boyfriends and girlfriends, your husbands and wives. I want you to consider the fact that when you allow someone and their behavior to be a norm in your life, you are also setting the norms for your life. So because of that, you are doing double the work when it comes time to identify real relationships or healthy relationships or trusting relationships. You are shifting every bit of truth and honesty in your perspective when you allow those people who are mistreating you to stay, to have access to your energy. You are literally just squeezing out every last bit of good and positive energy that you have when you're willing to give it to people who are only sucking it out of you, who are only selfishly fulfilling their own needs and just being present in your life, just, just being there, just being accessible by phone call, being accessible by text message. 
Those people are impacting your decision-making. I have a quote that is from the Soldipity Instagram, and it's written by Gabor Mate. And my apologies if I've pronounced that wrong. But when my sister sent it to me this month, it literally stopped me in my tracks. I've read it a million times. And it'll be shared on the Souls Undressed podcast Instagram page and Facebook community page as well. People have two needs. Attachment and authenticity. When authenticity threatens attachment, attachment trumps authenticity. I'm going to break that down a little bit because I know it can be a mouthful. So we have, as people, as humans, have two dire needs. Attachment, which obviously we know we need other humans. And the need to be real, to be honest, to be authentic to ourselves and to the world. But when the desire or the pursuit of being authentic or being honest and real to yourself threatens your attachment, your attachment will always trump authenticity, which means it will always win. Attachment will always win in your mind before authenticity will. So why did I read you that? When you are faced with the decision to remove someone from your life who brings excess negativity or excess heavy energy to you, you are quite literally facing the decision to cut someone off and mourn them who you've been attached to. At some point in your life, your attachment to them has been a source of survival. It's been a source of pleasure, maybe even a source of love, right? But if you're going to cut them out because they're no longer serving you, and that's very, very, very possible and very, very capable, even after someone has loved and served you in the past. You're going to have to cut off that desire for attachment to them. When I tell you this quote, it's to show you how naturally and innately we cling to attachment over anything else. I want you to realize how hard the work is to create a decision that's going to work against attachment purely in the pursuit of authenticity and staying true to yourself, because that's really all authenticity is, is staying true to yourself. When someone is threatening your ability to stay true to yourself, they're threatening you. But we always innately cling to the attachment anyway, and we say to hell with being true to ourselves, I want what feels good. And shit, cutting somebody out who I'm attached to, that does not feel good. That shit is hard. No bit of it feels good. And if it does feel good, ooh, it's short-lived and then it usually just returns right back to, a, to some stress. And I'm sure it's just like grieving someone in real life. It does get easier with time, but that's a hangnail that's always going to be there. It's always going to burn when lemon juice gets in it or when it gets caught on the couch when we get too careless, right? Like Our thoughts are always going to try to revert back to what's natural and innate to us. So I wanted to read that quote because I think it's important to realize the depth and the weight to what you're doing. But it's important work because who else is going to look out for your well-being? If this person on your mind right now, in your car, in your bed, on the floor, in your kitchen, at work, at your computer, 
if this person is on your mind right now that's bringing this heaviness to your life, can you honestly say they're looking out for your best interest? You can't. I bet you can't. Otherwise, their loving nature would outweigh the heaviness that they carry with them. And they wouldn't be on your mind after listening to me talk about everything I've talked about for the last half hour. So, how am I practicing letting go of this weight? I say, how am I practicing? Because it's not something I've, I've mastered. It's not something I've even come close to mastering. And this is a full spectrum, like curly, cur- curly line, curly cue path to, to an end goal. It's never finished. It's never over. It's not a straight shot. It's never figured out because just like mourning real death, it's just things that things are triggered by different topics, by different emotions, different songs, different thoughts. But I'm practicing letting go of that by journaling every single day. And because of a really awesome healer, spirit guide, whatever we want to call her, named Jade Electra, I am working on not calling my morning writing journaling. Um, I call it morning pages, and she actually learned that through another friend, I believe, Dakota Adan. Um, But I'm learning to call it morning pages because then it's no longer this pressurized, needs to look nice, needs to sound poetic thing. It's just clearing the hose, writing my thoughts, getting them out. But I've noticed that when I'm missing someone or I feel that something is missing from me, like I've lost a part of me, which is natural when you're grieving or letting go or cutting out excess energy for someone who's, for every other bit of your life, been super close and important. Um, Those thoughts are usually present with me first thing. And if I don't clear the hose and write in the morning and just get the thoughts out, I carry them with me. I bring them throughout the day. I acknowledge them so much more often than if I process them in the morning. Acknowledge my natural biases that stick with me from the time I woke up because I'm sad. And then I can move through them. I also, and this has been the biggest change, I decided to take 30 days from talking with my mom through the month of March. Um, And the two of us are still navigating that separately. Um, we haven't actually spoken uh, one-on-one. I have shared some more thoughts since taking those 30 days. Um, but I think the most important part of that is recognizing that that 30 days helped me acknowledge the ways that I was resting on routine and habit. And I was no longer seeking things out because they were benefiting me or they were serving me in any way. Um I think that in taking time away from anything, whether it's a substance that you're codependent on or a person or an activity, um, I think that it allows us to see what our lives look like when not attached to that thing. It allows us to see what parts of life are hard without that thing, what parts of life we were running from when we were distracting with that thing, what parts of our life are lighter and more carefree. Um... I will tell you the first 20 days of the 30 at least and even times up until the last couple of months have been earth-shatteringly hard. Uh, You definitely have to accept that you are mourning 
someone who has been a key role in your life when you're choosing to cut things out. And some people you're cutting out are going to be more important or less important than others. Um, but you have to be prepared to process that and mourn that and acknowledge the ways that some of these things are holding you back more than they are providing you with comfort. So that's my little soapbox. I'd like to wrap up with the how can I help segment. How can you serve a little love in your life who is processing this, whether it be your husband or wife, whether it be a child, a niece or nephew, um, a person you're a guardian for, someone you teach, um, if you know that they're experience heavy addiction at home and they're experience emotional neglect from that or from anything else, um, I want you to hold space for them. What does that mean, holding space? That means letting them know that you're here without judgment, without the desire to fix them. You're just there. You ask them more than once in a calm and non-threatening way if they'd like to talk. You reassure them that you're there to listen, even if they don't want to talk right now, but if they do one day. For people shedding or processing emotional traumas like this, those people are most likely in a state of reliving those things, like periodically throughout their entire day, day in and day out. Um, when you are learning to let go of someone who has hurt you, your brain is constantly having to remind you the ways that they've hurt you in order to remind you why you're letting go of them. So, um, by just holding that space for those people and allowing them to yell, to vent, to cry, to sit silently next to you while you touch their leg or you don't touch them or they rest their shoulder on you, um, the biggest thing you can do is hold space for them. Just let them know you're there. Um, also, encourage and offer some help or support for them to find a professional of some sort, whether that be a therapist, a life coach, a social worker, depending on their age and the location that they are in and kind of their experiences. Um, everyone needs a friend first, someone that lets them know that they're not alone, but it can be detrimental or almost kind of like halting your healing to uh, not go get some input from somebody who has professionally studied this and um, can legally and wholeheartedly advise you on ways to work through your problems and find coping skills and things like that. Um, so help them, offer to help them seek out different therapists in the area. Um, maybe make suggestions to them or suggest that they um, look into the different types of therapy, whether it be trauma therapy, family therapy, addiction therapy, um, someone who specializes in PTSD, different things like that. And then finally, just don't search for solutions. And I mean, you can search for solutions, but just don't search for solutions before seeking to support that person. There is absolutely no undoing what the person who has gone through the emotional trauma um, has been through. You can't undo any of the memories that are engraved in their brain. Um, so really, you can't fix it right away. Um, you can help them fix themselves currently, but you really can't fix it for them at all. Uh, that person has to be guided and supported and loved enough to feel confident that they can fix themselves. Because at some point, that tenderness and that innocence has been ripped from them, and they're the only person who can re-access that and bring that back into their lives. Um, so hold space 
encourage them to seek out professional support and uh, don't seek out solutions before seeking out support for them. Just be present, be with them, hold their hand, metaphorically or physically. I feel 10 million times lighter after sharing this with you guys. Um, I'm really looking forward to continue sharing my stories with you. I hope that if you can resonate with this and you can connect to this, that it has been insightful and um, just a little inspiring to go out and seek the support and the help that you need because there is a such fuller life on the other side of living only through the lens of your trauma. And you did not choose to be traumatized. You did not choose to be neglected. You did not choose to be set aside for something else as a child or as an adult. Um, so I hope that you can choose to take control back for yourself now. I hope to hear from you either in my DMs on the Souls Undressed podcast page on Instagram or through the wall on the Souls Undressed community on Facebook. I am sending you so much love. I hope that we can chat more about this. And as always, if you have any sort of uh, differing opinion or perspective, I would love for you to share that with me so that I can continue to share that as well and educate everyone else on the alternative perspectives in this life and in these experiences. I love you guys. Have a beautiful day.